Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. This is On the Beat Live. It is Thursday night, nine, 8 o'clock, 8 Eastern time. Uh, we've got the band together, plus one. Joey Powell joins us. I'm the host, Tommy Ashley. Greg Barnes is there. And Gregory Hall, of course, is the man behind the graphics and all the fancy stuff and getting it on like it's supposed to be. And we're going to have a fun little show here. It is Christmas Eve Eve. So we are in the thick of the holiday spirit. As you can see on our graphic, uh, we've got some Christmas lights. We got uh, some snow was on there earlier, but it's going to be fun. Uh, Johnny T-shirts are sponsored, by the way, and they have hooked many a people up for these Christmas holidays, and you need to continue to support them. Um, as the holiday comes and goes, go see them on Franklin Street. Go see them in person. Mm. They, are, they are our sponsors, and as Jason Staples would once say, they are ready to serve your needs. Let's get right into it, boys. Uh, Carolina basketball. We've started with football a few times the last few times. Let's talk basketball for sure. Greg, uh, App State game, is it relevant to this team, that performance against App State? I mean, it's always nice to go into a win, uh, go into the holidays with a win. I thought Dewey put it in perspective pretty well in the post game. But your thoughts on how that game changes the narrative thus far, if it does for this team? No, I don't think it changes the narrative whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I thought they've, they played well enough to win. And that's, that's pretty much what it came down to. Um, it was good to see Carwin pop off for a couple of threes there late. But, you know, this is a work in progress. We've talked about this a lot dating back to the preseason. Um, the fact that North Carolina is 8-0 against Q3 and Q4 teams um, is not surprising. And it's really not anything to hang your hat on. They should be 8-0 against Q3 and Q4 teams. The fact that they're uh, – you know, have struggled against the better teams and give them credit for the Michigan game. That was important, but the way they looked against Tennessee, the way they looked against Kentucky, especially um, kind of shows some of the things that North Carolina has to get better at. There's, you know, we're, we're past the third way point of the, the season. We're a couple weeks away from the midpoint midway point. So there, there's time to get things worked out. You know, Hubert Davis is, is a brand new coach. This is his first time ever doing this. There's going to be bumps in the road. We all knew that. Um, so I don't agree with people, um, who, who think that we know already that he was a bad hire. I think that's, uh, that's, that's way out of line. I don't, I don't, there's, if North Carolina was going to make the decision to go with Hubert, you gotta give him time. And I've tried to stress that dating back to, to April. And I think that's still the case on the flip side. I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, comparing him to, I saw on the board, you know, coach K's rough start. Uh, Dean Smith's uh, early going, like, I don't think we should be comparing him to two of the best to ever coach the game either. So I think there's a middle ground there. Um, this is going to take time. And so we have to watch this play out. Uh, I, I haven't seen anything to suggest this is a national championship contender, even though Hubert has said as such, and I know some fans think so. Uh, but this is a team that has a lot of talent. You know, Sherelle's kind of made that point a lot in, in recent months. Um, and if they can get together and, and start playing better and play consistently, then they have a chance to, to do some damage in ACC play. But a, a lot of that's yet to come. We'll have to see it play out. But uh, to answer your question, Tommy, App State game did not move the needle whatsoever. It gave them a needed win to kind of wash the taste of that Kentucky loss out of their mouth a bit. Um, but they have a week to, to kind of revamp and, and – Get some rest because once ACC play starts, they can't have many more games like that. 
Indeed, and it starts with Virginia Tech. I watched the Duke-Virginia Tech game um, for a good while until Duke – it was pretty obvious Duke was going to win. I thought Virginia Tech looked really good. And uh, that game on, I guess, Wednesday night in the Smith Center after Christmas will be a tough one for Carolina. Gregory, your thoughts on where it stands here at Christmas time? I mean, we're going to get into uh, – well, no, I'll let you discuss what we'll get into – um, and then after you comment, I want to hear from Joey, and then we'll get into your lists. Wait, so what do you want me to talk to you about right now? You I want a lot you of things to, there. I know. I want you to – I want your thoughts on okay. what Carolina has done thus far, and then I want you to tease what's coming up on the show. Got it. So, first of all, it's snowing over our faces, if you can't tell. Um let me know thoughts. Is that, is that what that is? All right, cool. If it's too annoying or I can turn off the snow, but I think it's fun. Anyway. It, it looks cool. Uh, it's not dandruff, at least not on my head. <laughs> as far as uh, uh, Joey and Greg have hats on, so we wouldn't really be able to tell. I guess it could be for me. Um, but as far as Virgi- the, not Virginia Tech, um, you've mentioned Virginia Tech, but not looking forward yet. The Carolina game against App. Um, I was looking to see how Caleb responded, considering he put up a season low against Kentucky and, um, I believe our last show was even before the Kentucky game, and we had the discussion about who's most important to this team um, as far as MVP. And we had basically we tried to decide between either Caleb or Armando. Um, and it's it's tough, just one game, but Armando played was the only one that really showed the energy and aggressiveness that you needed to against an athletic team like Kentucky. Caleb was just taken out of the game, um, and then so I was looking to see against App how Caleb responded. And so what I've kind of decided these last two games, it was the Caleb of last year where he went away in a game, which is fine. It happens. Um, And then against app state, he was forcing things too much, um, which is why he had the five turnovers in the first half and then um, got into foul trouble on the defensive end and things like that. Um, So look, moving forward, I'm kind of going to be watching Caleb love more closely to see how he recovers from these past two games. Um, obviously, it's App State. They were UNC is just a better team. The difference between the App State game and the Furman game is that App State missed all their threes, and Furman made more threes in the first half. That's really the the whole game. App State couldn't hit a single shot, and that's what they rely on. And they didn't fall, so UNC won by twenty. Um, as far as Caleb, there, yeah, I mean, the six turnovers. Yes, Brady Manning got involved. That was good. Um, and I think Hubert finally realized, let's get some more guys some burn, which is why you had DeMarco Dunn in there earlier. You had Anthony Harris in there earlier. There was just more subbing earlier. Um, they still didn't play that much, but they played more than we've seen in the past. So it would be, I don't know if it necessarily means anything in that regard because ACC plays coming up. Um, and I think it might have been more just a thing of just kind of settling down Caleb and some of the other guys and RJ limped off for a little bit, but he came back. That's kind of where this team's shown they're capable of things. Um, but I think it really relies on how Caleb plays in these last two games. Caleb wasn't his normal self as far as we've seen this season. So that's what I'm watching moving forward. Long story short. Long story, long story. Uh, Joey, your short thoughts on where Carolina is going into Christmas break. You know, I, I think, what is it? Nine and three. Uh, I think that's pretty much where we all had it pegged in the preseason. I know Greg had it nine and three, eight and four. Um, but it just seems different. I guess it seems different because of the Kentucky blowout um, and the Tennessee blowout and the Purdue loss. Um, but your thoughts? At, at the risk of really, really pissing Sherelle McMillan off here, I'm going to say um, the how is greater than the what here. Uh, Sherelle loves to say that the what is greater than the how, but I think the how is why nine and three doesn't feel like nine and three. Um, when you look at getting absolutely curb stomped by Kentucky on national TV by a very beatable Kentucky team that just came out and decided they were going to, you know, just sun North Carolina. Um, and then a very deer in headlights game against uh, a Tennessee team that's turned out to be fairly good. I mean, they knocked off Arizona last night for Arizona's first loss. Um, I think that the frustration from fans, I see subscribers, everybody, is that that nine and three still has North Carolina as a nationally irrelevant nine and three. And 
if you had maybe stolen one of those uh, games against uh, Tennessee, Purdue, or Kentucky, then maybe the you know the cookies taste a little better. But the how they got to that nine and three, I think, is what's so what's so damning right now. Yeah, so Tommy, it's a Clemson. It's a Clemson nine and three. That's what it feels like. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. If <laughs> nobody nobody cares about the Purdue loss, even though that game was by right. nine points and it could have been double digits. Right. Why? Because they played they, well. They, they fought. Mm-hmm. They 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 were competitive. They looked like they gave up darn. If they and did that against Kentucky, it's probably a nine point loss. Well, and they were in the game for most of the game against Purdue as well. I think Purdue legged that out in the last maybe after the eight under eight timeout. Um but again, like North Carolina was in the second half, their run was that last year before that last TV timeout at halftime or after that last TV timeout before the half. They did nothing in the second half that made you think it was going to be anything but a bloodbath. And Greg, you're, you're spot on with that, man. I think if, if they would have made that game close, I don't think we're having this same, you know, that same discussion about what does that nine and three mean? Go ahead, Greg. Finish your thought there. I mean, no, that's that's just about it. But I mean, it really is that that the the magnitude of the Tennessee and Kentucky losses are more than just you know one mark in the loss column. It's the fact that the guys did not come out and play, and you know, compounding the issue is after the Tennessee game. Uh, Hubert Davis made a big point of look, you know, never will I coach a game again, you know, that doesn't reflect who I am. It will never happen. Tommy, can I ask something on the back and of that? happened. <laughs> I, w- I want to I want to push Greg there a little bit. Uh, Greg, we talked about on the coast to coast um, Hubert's comments out of nowhere before the season about how the defensive player of the game prior to or the defensive player of the week is going to get to start. Nobody prompted him to say that. He said it, and now everybody's kind of like scratching their heads about well, where is this emphasis on defense? That combined with his comments after Tennessee about, you know, we'll never play like this again or I'll never have to worry about this again. Do you feel like maybe some of these unprompted, uh, I don't want to say diatribes, I just, you know, when he kind of goes off on these huge, um, very final, very definitive statements like that, do you feel like he he might be making things worse for himself? Yes, and I think it comes from a good place. And that, that's part of being a, a young and inexperienced head coach. And all those comments are magnified at this level. And if you go back and listen to the College of Charleston coach's remarks after the Carolina game, uh, he, he says some things that kind of, you know, as I'm sitting in the media room, kind of makes me turn my head and look at him. And if you go back and look at some of his comments after some other games, same situation. But he's a Charleston and there's only a couple guys that covered that beat. And that fan base is really small. So it does not make waves anywhere. There's a lot of coaches like that that make similar comments. That does not happen in North Carolina. And that's one of the challenges of this job is because every single word that you say is amplified. And people are going to tear it apart. Um, and I'm, what I'm curious about is not so much what he said and the hyperbole that's involved, it's will he adjust and change as the years go by? I would assume absolutely, but you know, um, some people are convinced that he's only speaking to his players and not to anybody else. I'm not sure that I buy that. I, I don't think I think Hubert just really speaks from his heart, and I don't, I don't have any doubt that he believes that this team can win a national championship. Um, whether you should be saying that publicly, that's that's a different matter. It is a it is a work in progress, and quite frankly, it's not anything that this fan base, this beat, has seen. Um, I mean, we can talk about the Darty years, year year plus before it went off the rails, um, but it's never been a thing that we've had to cover fans have had to watch because most of the fans that are watching now don't remember Dean Smith's first three years and don't remember all of that and everything that went into that. So that's why, that's why for me, Greg, to your point, Hubert says these things and I agree. He believes them. It's from a good place, 
but it almost seemed like, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way. It almost seems like rookie mistakes and they matter, especially when there's such a spotlight. I mean, Dewey talked about it on the post game the other night. Nobody has any idea what it's like to play for Carolina basketball and, and the pressures and all that comes with it. Well, nobody knows what it's like because everybody is watching. And I think that when you do that, um, and when you say things, then everybody takes and runs. I mean, you could say the sky's blue, and we know how that conversation turns out. There's a million different people that'll say, no, it's like kind of turquoise or teal. I mean, and it's the same thing with this. So Hubert's under a microscope that I don't know if he fully grasped at this point. He will. He, he certainly will uh, because it's only going to get warmer and hotter. But, I, I, you know, I think it's way too early for these people talking about other guys that should have been hired or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's a work in progress, period. Gregory. Well, hang ahead. on. It is. One interesting thing is I, I've gone back and, and read some some quotes and stories about Bill Guthridge when he first took the job uh, back in the, the 97, 98 year. And even at ACC media day before the season even started. So, you know, just weeks after Dean had retired, uh, everybody's talking about, Hey, this, you know, this team is returning Vince Carter and Anton Jamison and all these guys. And they went to the final four, blah, 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 all this stuff. And Guthridge is, is very on point saying, look, like, I know we've got this talent on this team, but the reason North Carolina is being projected to be this potential Final Four team is not because of me, it's because of Dean. And Dean's retired. So let's all make sure we're aware of that. Uh, this is my first time doing this. Like, just, just understand where all these expectations are. Hubert took a completely different approach. And granted, you know, we're talking about 25 years ago, a lifetime ago, especially with how social media has come along and all those kind of things. Uh, but I found that a very, very interesting, um, I don't want to say disconnect, but a very, very significant difference in how each of those first-year coaches handled business at Carolina. I'm curious what you guys think of this. Um, I don't remember who I was talking it with. Maybe it was Adam Smith. Maybe it was Brendan Marks at the game the other night. I'm not sure who. Um, Adam talks a lot, so it might have been him. But talking about Hubert constantly bringing up like and kind of affir affirmed it, Ross's question in the post game about what if what has Hubert learned about himself? And he didn't really say he had learned anything other than that these past 12 games and past eight and a half months have confirmed his love for the university, his love for the Tar Heels and all of that. As far as I, I saw something on Twitter about how it's changed where it's no longer these guys dream of playing in the final four and playing to hang a banner growing up, right? When they're in high school, they dream about getting noticed um, by NBA players for their highlights and dream about playing in the NBA. And it's kind of skipped that high school to college winning a national championship and then NBA aspirations. And now it's just straight to NBA aspirations. Whereas Hubert is just so, I love this university. You play for the name in front of your chest, which I get because that's what UNC basketball has been in the past. But do you think that disconnect if there, I mean, I obviously can't speak for the players. Um, they obviously want to win and everything, but you think what kind of role do we think that might play here as far as I know we talked about with Roy Williams um, the game is changing, right? And when we said that, we meant the whole two bigs, post players, four at like in the offense and things like that. Um, but I think Hubert might also be leaning on the old schoolness of these players dreaming about playing at the university like Hubert did. I, I, I'll start it. I 100% agree with that. Um, and it's not for everybody, and this is not an absolute answer, but winning is less important than making money these days and making a brand these days. You couldn't tell me otherwise, but I'm not saying everybody's like that. There are guys that want to win without question. Um, but I think that has changed. That's one reason that Roy Williams is not doing it anymore. Um, and that's what Hubert Davis is preaching to get back to 
Um, so, you know, that'll come with recruiting guys that are like that. But, I mean, we folks like to compare everything to Duke and what Duke does. And I'll talk about Duke. I mean, I watched them the other night. They're fun to watch. You know, they got some talented athletes. They had one squat with them, but they've got a lot of guys that have gone to the league and they've, they've won a lot of regular season basketball games. The point being is they have attached themselves to that new mindset in my mind. Winning is not the absolute. The next level, making money, getting known is, is that. Greg, is that fair? Yeah, I, mean, I think for, for a significant portion of the AAU crowd, that is fair. But also think it's a little bit of a cop-out because if, if Hubert Davis is convinced that he wants the, the name on the front of the jersey to be most important, which I think a lot of people listening to this, a lot of Carolina fans would agree with that. Um, and I think a lot of the, the fans of blue-blooded programs would say the same thing. You have to recruit to that. And I think there are enough kids out there. I mean, like, I think Virginia is the, the great example. Everybody watches Virginia is like, why would anybody go and want to play in that style of offense or defense? Well, guess what? Who's won more games in the ACC than anybody last five years? Virginia. Now, that may change this year. Uh, but they won a title as well. And so Tony Bennett is able to find guys that fit exactly what he wants to do. And the same thing applies in this scenario. If Hubert Davis wants guys that are passionate about North Carolina, and that is, I don't want to say end-all, be-all, but that, I mean, that's important to them. They're not hanging around because they couldn't get drafted. They're hanging around because they want to hang around. Uh, you can recruit guys like that. Now, that's going to take several years for us to see exactly how it plays out, but Duke hasn't taken that approach. And as you said, you know, Coach Case has success. He's also had a lot of flame-outs early that have been surprising. And the reason they won the 15 – uh, tournament is because Quinn Cook was a senior who, who did everything for him. So, um, you know, I, I think you can work around it. I think you have a much smaller pool of players to recruit from, but you can still get it done. Dig in, Gregory. You got a question for the group, and then we can get into the naughty and nice list. Yeah, transitioning to the um, little on the court, something I noticed because we talk a lot about the defense, right, and the defensive changes that came after the Tennessee game. Um, even some defensive changes that Hubert talked about after the App State game, as far as the changes in their icing and weaking. Um, I believe Trevor Marks is going to come out with a film room thing on some of the changes that were made. But I mean, Hubert discussed um, they hedged more and it worked. They might see that more and they changed some things where they used, um, they weaked more with the three and the four rather than the five and just a whole bunch of different changes we've talked about defensively. But something I've noticed offensively with this team since the Tennessee game is that the tempo has gone down um, and they're in the total points scored. I mean, they've only scored 80 points once um, and everything else has been under that. Whereas in the first games, I mean, even against Tennessee or I guess against Purdue, they scored 84 right in those first five games. They were the offensive numbers were higher and the tempo was higher. Every single one of those games was above 71 possessions and they've only had two games above 70 possessions since just your thoughts, your guys' thoughts on getting out in transition, not getting out in transition. Um, I feel like the only game they really got out in transition recently was the Elon game. And that had 76 possessions and the shots weren't falling. And we talked about last week, they played dirty and they actually did things that needed to do. What's your guys' thoughts on the offensive change in the first five versus the last seven, as far as tempo and things like that. I think there's two know. things you can look at. Uh, the first one I think is uh, if you look at how UNC has typically triggered their transition, it's been for rebounding and specifically it's been from guys crashing the boards, like from every position on the floor. Uh, from what I can tell, you're only getting that out of the three of the four and the five on this team. Uh, maybe I'm seeing things wrong, but I feel like that's, I feel like that's more often the, the rule rather than the exception right now. Um, the other thing I would say is I think they've cut down on turnovers a little bit, which a lot of times if, if you're not good at running transition, uh, you know, you're, you're speeding up, but you're also kicking the ball out of bounds and you're throwing the ball way ahead of the pack and nobody's catching it. And you're being a little more careless. It's kind of the speed for, for speed's sake thing. And so I do think that one of the things, Greg can probably speak this a little better, but I would imagine one of the things when Hubert Davis wanted them to start taking care of the ball better uh, it did require some sacrificing of tempo. 
it did require them to slow down just a little bit to just to be more sure of themselves. Um, and then also, you know, I, I think a lot of um, a lot of IC subscribers have, have pointed this out accurately that a couple of times uh, we've seen RJ and Caleb just beat the ball into the dirt. I mean, they're just dribbling it to death before they ever get going with anything. And, you know, if you've usually got a freelance offense that you're not comfortable with, that's what happens. Or if you're really well scouted, that's what happens. And you saw that against Kentucky, I think, because Kentucky knew exactly how they were going to cut off, you know, North Carolina's um, any mid-range or, or, you know, pressure. Any North Carolina half-court transition they were going to cut off by by really extending out their defense. And what you had happening was guys like R.J. Davis and Caleb Love just beating the ball into the dirt over and over again and not really getting anything out of it. I want to interject about turnovers there because the turnover numbers haven't really declined other than two games. Michigan, they turned it over six times. And Elon or Furman, they turned it over eight. But every other game has been at over 12. So I don't – What's the average? Uh, whatever 152 divided by 12 is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Per, what's their average per possession now versus what it used to be? I think it was higher. I guess is what I'm getting at. I could be Are, wrong, but I'm talking I feel about like time per possession. No, their average turnover per possession. So oh, I don't know where to if, find if that. Stuff. I guess what I'm saying is, if their possessions have gone up, I think the turnovers have gone down. Gotcha. Um, whereas if they, you know, earlier if they're just speeding up the game for the sake of trying to get transition that way, a lot of times your your turnovers are going to go up, even if you have more possessions. I understand. Greg, does that sound remotely accurate, or am I am I spitballing here? No, I think you're. I think you're right. And the other the other component too is, um, with you're right that that Roy's his whole thing was we're going to dominate the glass, and that's going to allow us to get out in transition. The other part of it too is with North Carolina's base defense, it's it's designed to get hands into the passing lane. Why? To create turnovers, to get easy kickouts, mm-hmm. and you've got layups. North Carolina is. 350th nationally in turnover percentage forced out of, I think, 358 teams at the division one level. So, I mean, they're, they're not doing a good job whatsoever in forcing turnovers. And that's a big part of it. That kind of limits what you can do in transition. And, you know, tempo wise, I was just looking here. I mean, adjusted tempo right now, 70.4. If you go back to 09, 72.9, go back to 05, 73. So, you know, we're talking about two, maybe three possessions different over some of the, the fastest teams in UNC history. Um, so it has, has slowed down you know, a tiny bit, but I, you know, I just think it's a matter of uh, they've struggled at times against better teams on the boards, and they have not done a good job forcing turnovers. And those, those things really kind of limit what you can do uh, in transition, and, and that's been part of the problem. The force and turnovers is a thing. I, let's get into this naughty nice list, Gregory, because uh, we need to discuss a couple big things on that, the, the new offense and the new defense. Um, but I'll let you tell us what we're doing. I'll let you get it started, and then we can get it rolling. Okay. So can everyone see this? Oh, man. I feel like I'm, feel like I'm back in college and got somebody laying out a good presentation for us here. Well done, sir. Um. Back in college. Oh, yeah. Yesterday for me. There we go. Hold on. Joey, sorry. I have a Christmas tree here that's blocking your face that I'll change. That's okay. That's that's better in a lot of people's opinions. So, (laughs) all right. So, what I, you know, just a little fun little something different here. We go over, I mean, as we discuss (laughs) this team, we got the naughty list and we got the nice list, little Santa Claus for you. Um, Well, since we're talking basketball, we can start there. Um, and I'll try to navigate changing of, I mean, it's just a word doc at this point. It's nothing really complex, but we'll go over what we think is working for this team. What's not working for this team. As far as for basketball, it can be, you can start naughty. You can start nice. Greg, I'll, I'll start, start with you here. What do, what should go where to start out here with this basketball team? What do you, where you want to start? Well, I think number one has got to be effort and intensity. It's got to be on the naughty list. Oh, Mm. that's two separate things oh okay sorry i mean just for to make it look even a little more uh-oh it's working oh, now you're supposed to know how to work the word document oh no that doesn't work okay greg when you talk about effort and intensity a lot of people say well they're playing hard um 
I would disagree with that statement in Tennessee and Kentucky games, 100%. How do you quantify or qualify the effort and intensity questions for this team? Dewey had a great answer about it's not as easy as it is as it looks. But I'll ask you, why isn't it? Why isn't it easy enough for guys just to play hard for whether they're out there for five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I understand the focus side of it, but the effort and intensity, I'm not sure I can wrap my head around why it doesn't happen. It's got to be an A, you think, because a lot of those games are are very much like some of the the NBA games, like during the regular season where it's kind of a blowout and guys are just trotting up and down the court, jacking up shots. I went to an NBA game recently and we kind of saw that like it was a 20 point game in third quarter. And it's like, what are these guys doing? And I I think that's gotta be part of it. But I was sitting courtside for the Carolina Kentucky game. And there was a number of plays where a ball off a rebound, been knocked away, whatever is just kind of there for the taking and Kentucky guys are diving after the ball and Carolina guys are like bending over trying to pick it up. Um, it's like the old, you know, pornography clause, right? I was the, about to say the exact same I mean, thing, dude. That, I was going to drop the Larry Flint, Flint reference. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, y'all, um, please you know it when you see it. Yeah, there um, you go. And it's uh, that—that's really what it is. I—I <laughs> like to blame it on AAU. I mean, you know, Carolina fans have been spoiled because you've got the Marcus Pages, you've got the George Lynches, you've got the Tyler Hansbrough. I think it's the greatest example. I mean, Hansbrough could be playing a team that they were smacking by 35 points, and he's out there diving for balls. Um, you know, anybody on this team that you think would possibly do that? I think that's one of the reasons people like Anthony Harris so much. Bingo. I mean, he doesn't really give you any kind of all- offensive um, skill set necessarily, but he's going to bust his butt when he's out there, and people love that. And I, I just don't think there's enough of that. I, I blame it on AAU. Maybe, maybe I'm off. Maybe that's me being a an old head, but um, that's that's where my blame lies. There. Next time Tommy. we talk with next time we talk with Rel, we can ask him the AAU thoughts because I feel like he watches more AAU basketball than you do. For sure. Let me let me uh, let me chime in here. If we're talking about guys not doing it, and I and again I reference the Dewey Pod, guys not doing it. Once upon a time, you didn't do it. You set your rear end on the bench, and that brings the rotation and the minutes in. And I think we got to put that on the naughty list as well. Well, I think that's a little debate there. Okay, let's debate it. Joey, I think that the bench needs to be a motivator. And I'm not saying that – I'm not calling names on kids, but if you're not at it 100%, and especially when the guy you're guarding or the guy you're playing Mm -hmm. is kicking your butt by doing that very thing, I think you got to sit. Period. Because not only do you have to sit for your actions, you have to sit to let the other guys, especially the guys that are sitting on the bench, understand Mm -hmm. that if you're going to do that, you're going to sit. Don't care who you are. Don't care what, you know, where you are, what your level is, what your talent is. If you don't bring it, you sit. And that shape, that is one of those things that um, shapes the entire roster. So naughty or nice, Joey, rotation. So I think it's naughty, and here's why. Um, if you go back and look at the Cole Anthony year two seasons ago, think about one of the things that Roy Williams, and you made this point on the Inside Carolina Live radio show with yours truly um, on WCHL, shameless plug, uh, before that, you know, the bench is the, is the coach's greatest motivator. If you go back and look at that Cole Anthony year, Roy Williams could not bench guys because he just didn't have anybody. I mean, if you go back and think about the personnel on that team, if guys sucked, he couldn't bench them. Last year, it was a little of the same in that he didn't have real depth. He could bench guys, but dealing with the egos that he has on the roster or had on the roster, um, he couldn't really bench guys because he was trying to hold a team together and trying not to lose the entire roster. So what you have now in 2021-22 is a new coach and a culture in the locker room of guys who have not had to fear that motivation of the bench, right? 
So now you've got a new coach who is dealing with kind of a culture of a roster. Think about it. The only person on this team who hasn't, uh, who has has been through that cycle and who has benched before for bad play, who is it? Leaky Black. Leaky Black is the only one that is actually getting like guaranteed minutes right now. And if you look at the plus minus, I think he's earned it. But so there's nobody in that locker room culturally who is afraid of being benched. And now you have a new coach on top of that who is trying to win now, his own words, since back in April. And I don't think he's comfortable making a lot of those benchings, for lack of a better term. So I'm not putting this at the feet of Roy. I'm not blaming anybody. But I'm just trying to just kind of point out there's a culture in that locker room of kids who have rarely, probably never been benched in their lifetime for not giving effort. I think the way I was viewing this rotation is if this, if the rotation had been expanded, um, I don't know if this team is necessary. Like, I don't know if it's any, if it's any better. So I'm viewing like the tight rotation of being the main bulk of this team, um, like those seven guys. And I would put that in the nice column, in my opinion, because that, that tight seven will take this team to where it wants to go based on kind of how I've observed so far this season so that's 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 me i'll let greg be the deciding vote here so what i always liked about roy williams and again this is this makes it tough for hubert because what we know is roy williams right one of the best who ever coached the game right and so it's just ultimately a very difficult comparison for hubert it's not fair to him but one thing that i loved that that matt that mac that that roy always talked about and I would like it if Mike talked about it. But Roy has talked about he was coaching for the program, not necessarily for a win. And what that meant was is that he was coaching to kind of build the program, not just for this week, not just for this month, not just for this year, but for the years to come. He was setting a precedent of like, look, this is how we're going to do things. And we're going to have success because this is how we do things. Everybody has to learn that. I'm not going to change what we're going to be for this short period just to kind of try to get an extra win or two. And it worked. And that was, that was what everybody knew. I think, uh, I think it was Adrian Atkinson on the board made the comment of, we knew 20 minutes into Roy's first game at North Carolina, what North Carolina basketball teams were going to look like under Roy Williams. And I think that's a big part of it. And so, that's where I kind of am with, with Hubert is, is the seven-man rotation just an intent to win right now? Or is this what he's wanting to do? That's how he wants his program to be built out. We don't know that. We'll have to see how he kind of plays out. And so that's why I'm a little bit questioning the, the, the tight rotation at this point in time because he's got some young guys that have played well, uh, but yet we haven't seen enough of them to really gauge them and see – how much they can potentially provide in the years to come. All right, let's get off of that. Let's go to the offensive system. Gregory Hall, uh, what's your take? You like the new offense? I do. I, I mean, I like the four out one in. Um, and I think that has allowed when it's working correctly. And every time I say that, I'm talking about off-ball movement that allows for spacing and can let Caleb RJ – um, drive and either dish it off to Manic Garcia or Baycott or go up. Um, so I think if talking nice things, the new offensive system is fitted to this personnel that Hubert has and is working nicely with the players um, as far as system with personnel. I think it's very cohesive and I think it's working well, not necessarily being executed properly at all times, but when it is um, like what they did against Michigan, um, then I think that's where it, you can kind of see this team's potential. I think we all agree there. So, Joey, uh, I'm on to ask you a, a play off the offensive system. Hubert playing the two lead guards with R.J. and Caleb Love, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love out there. I think at first it was uh, who's who out there, who's primary and who's off and all that. But I think as they've done it, and to Gregory's point, when they execute it and when they – uh, don't stand there and pound it, but they move it and it doesn't stick. I think having those two guys out there at the same time is is definitely a positive, definitely on the nice list for me. What say if you, Joey? 
So it's crazy. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Adrian Atkinson, who just posted this on Inside Carolina just now. But um, I'm glad I went and looked for this. Uh, Davis and Love together have uh, have been on 298 total minutes this year. And during those minutes, UNC has a 116.4 offensive rating and a 101 defensive rating uh, with a plus 15 in the efficiency margin. So what you're seeing is they're a little better defensively when only one point guard is on the court, but offensively, they're so much better when both of those guys are on. And I think you've seen that in, you know, RJ Davis showing out. Uh, he's shown that he has the ability to score. He's got the ability to shoot which anytime you have a, a, a point guard or a guy that's going to have the ball in his hands most often, I think it makes, you know, it makes your offense more dangerous. I go back to thinking about how much better UNC was when Joel Berry started, you know, effectively making three-point shots and, you know, making the other team's lead guard pick up and extend their defense. The other thing, too, I think it takes some of the pressure off of Caleb Love. Uh, one of the biggest knocks against Caleb Love last year from UNC fans was that, you know, he was trying too hard. Uh, or that you know he wasn't as good of a shooter. And his numbers last year were terrible, or at least by his standards. And I think when you have somebody else out there that can call the you know, can call the defenses, can bring the ball up as well, it takes some of the things that Caleb Love has to think about off his plate. He can just think about going out there and playing and running whatever sets they're in. So when you have those inter interchangeable pieces, um, I think it frees the offense up a little more, but specifically it frees both of those guys up to be better players because they're not having to handle all of the point guard duties. And, um, you know, again, if we want to keep going back to the more of an NBA style for North Carolina, you're seeing a lot of NBA teams do this with, with two guards or with two lead guards more often now. And it just, I think it creates more offense for you. I really do. It does. And Gregory's already put three point shooting in the nice. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty that, obvious, right? Considering I, how bad the UNC has been, you have to put that in. You're right. It is mind blowing. That it's the same guys for the most part, except for Garcia and Manic. But the guys that are out there that were the same as last year look like completely different players, at least shooting three pointers. Greg, speaking of new guys out there, I said early that Brady Manic was probably my favorite guy, um, favorite Carolina player at the moment um, for a variety of reasons. But one, he's a pretty daggone good basketball player. Um, Baycott's a given. Greg, uh, Baycott's got to be out there. We all agree on that. But Baycott and Manic have been fantastic together. And Adrian Atkinson's article shows that, Greg, the, the effect of Manic on this team. Yeah, I like him coming off the bench just because he's an instant offensive spark plug. And I think that, that's very beneficial. Uh, but Hubert, give Hubert a lot of credit for this. He, he talked about wanting to kind of switch the offensive scheme, really utilize more of a stretch four. Uh, he went out and got Garcia and Manic. And I think both these guys have proven that, hey, this is, what, this is what Huber said he wanted to do. This is what he's doing. They've had a lot of success through the transfer portal. Um, and that's really allowed him to showcase what kind of offense he wants to run. And that, that's got to be a great benefit for recruiting in the years to come to be able to look, say, hey, look at what Brady Mannick's done. He's been phenomenal. Look at what Dawson Garcia's done. Um, you know, I, I didn't think Mannick had much of a – NBA potential whatsoever when he arrived in Chapel Hill. Uh, I think it's changed because he he's a guy that can be very useful for some NBA teams with his ability to shoot. I think he's shooting right now 36% from three. Um, you know, a, a big stretch four who can shoot like that. You know, maybe somebody will give him a look and maybe he's a guy that can come off the bench and provide some firepower for somebody. He plays hard too. He, yeah. He's always in there getting – you know, sometimes getting banged around, but he's always got his hands in there and he's always, he's not the most athletic guy. <laughs> I mean, he is what he is, but he always working. Um, and he always seems like he is engaged. And quite frankly, I love what he said early in the season in the post-game press conference. I mean, yep. he nailed it and it needs to be said more often. Uh, Gregory, what's next? Where do we want to put and how do we want to put Kerwin Walton on this list? So was there any question where Kerwin Walton would go prior to App State? Well, I think, yeah, if we if need to establish some parameters here. But I think the answer might be obvious as far as, like, it might be the same thing. But, like, I mean, his minutes have declined. Is that his fault? Is it Hubert's? Um, so, like, are we putting, like, is it naughty that Kerwin hasn't played more? 
or is Kerwin's play naughty? It was kind of what I was going there. I mean, yes, he played well against um, App State, but it was his first points and his first threes in a month plus. Um, so where, I got a how, question on that, where are we Gregory. feeling on Kerwin here? Kind of on the back of that too, I think we've got to establish, are we discussing that his lack of playing time is his fault? Or are we leaving it at the feet of the coaching staff? Like if you, if you want to yeah. assume what the coaching staff says is true, then he hasn't been earning minutes in practice. Right. So I, I think you've got to establish that too, before we can accurately place him in one column or another. So are we, it sounds like we're leaning naughty, Greg. What do you think? Uh, it's got to be naughty, but I, I think there's a lot. We lot can put an asterisk come. next to it for you. I mean, it, it's a tough question because you one of the one of the key jobs for coaches is not only recruiting but development. And would you say that Corwin Walton has developed from last year to this year? I don't think so. I think he's taking a step back. Yes, and that's on the coaches. Um, yeah, it's on Corwin as well, of course, but. Uh, the coaches have to be able to press the right buttons, and that has not happened. So, I, I mean, I, he's not played well, um, but I think he is a he is a key guy for this team. If if they want to be able to really challenge for the ACC title, that's just my opinion. I I think a lot of the kid, and so um, he's he's one that's proven to me from what we saw last year with his ability to get hot that that you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of struggles with him to get him on the court, get him some rhythm. And he just has not been allowed that. Um, and that, of course, that's, that's Hubert's. Uh, that's his right to do however he wants to do. But because of that, I, I, I yes, he's struggling, but I think some of that's on the coaching staff. So I, I think the, the naughty list for sure. Transfer portal. Nice. Hold on a second. Let, let oh, me get in I'm here. I'm trying on, to move on. here. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I said moving along, and I apologize. But but what I want to say about Walton is is it, this has been a big role learning process, probably for him more than anybody on this mm -hmm. team. Um, and so, therefore, you have the dichotomy of is it the coach's staff that's not you know helping him be the best player he can be, or is he not adjusting to what the coaching staff wants to be? I think, you know, it's tough to get in a rhythm shooting, but some of the defensive lapses, some of the turnovers are just unacceptable. Um, and that has nothing to do with rhythm or yeah. minutes. I mean, you don't have a lazy handoff pass when the guy's right on you, um, you know, and the guy's been eating everybody's lunch. You just don't. And so that's on him. But I, I think he has a role, him finding it, the coaches defining it, I think is can really, really make a difference for this team. Anyway, transfer portal as Gregory started up. Nice, right? It's got to be. It's, it probably needs to be at the top of the nice list for this team specifically. Joey, Garcia, and Manic have – Wait, uh, I just typed nice. Have had their days. Um, Manic, I've already said what I think of him. Justin McCoy, not really sure where he plays out in all this, but transfer portal as a whole – for Carolina's probably saved this season from being ugly. What do you think? You know, just as we talked on uh, a lot of podcasts and radio shows last year about where would North Carolina's team last year be without Kerwin Walton, I think you have to ask the same question this year about where would they be without Garcia and Manic, right? And I, I understand where everybody's kind of, you know, had some criticism about uh, Garcia's hot and cold nature and how he, he sometimes disappears, and I, I think that's accurate. Um, and Brady Manick, you know, he had one off shooting night, uh, against Kentucky, but I think the net of both of those guys coming into the program is absolutely just, um, as positive as it can be. And, and I do think that, you know, if they'd, the, the only downside I think is they just don't have any chemistry with the guys on the roster and they've had to really work for that and earn that. But I think it's absolutely a positive and the way Hubert Davis was able to play, getting those guys into the program you know, very soon after he got to Chapel Hill is, you know, he should be commended for that because it's not just the transfer portal. He had to go and get those guys and get them on campus and get them to, you know, to really commit to, to making their next step uh, in, in Chapel Hill. So I think you, you transfer portal definitely on the nice list, but I think you also have to have to commend the coaching staff for their use of the transfer portal in, in ways that help this program. I do not think that use of the transfer portal is over with. 
I think we'll be talking about um, whether or not they landed successful players this time sure. next year as well. Sure. Um, let's uh, let's get it over to the football side right quick. If you're listening, this is on the Beat Live uh, podcast. Johnny T-shirts our sponsor. Of course, you need to visit them and get your ten percent off here in South Carolina premium subscription. You're Greg Barnes got places to be. We're going to keep this show as shorter. Uh, I mean, we've gone as much as two and a half hours on these things before, but not today, folks. Greg Barnes, give me the top of the nice list for Carolina football right at this moment. Recruiting. Hands down. Without we, question. Yeah, we, we can pick apart a lot of things in the program from coaches to players. Uh, it's hard to have any issue with what Mac Brown has done recruiting. And that, that dates back to as soon as he was hired with, with landing Sam Howell, still a name from Florida State. And um, it's just impressive what they've done at a school that hasn't traditionally had that level of success. And for them to sign classes that, that teams like Clemson and Ohio State would, would love to have is uh, pretty impressive. Gregory, you cannot pick recruiting. Give me the top of your nice list for Carolina can we put, football. Can we put Gregory's typing at the at the top of the naughty list? What do you want me to do? Uh, you probably could write it better yeah. than you could type it. <laughs> you type like a Chick-fil-A cow. Well, I don't know what that means. My type, oh, I type, my I can type over a hundred words a minute. So I don't want to hear it. Let the people speak. We'll have a challenge on here in the offseason, live on the Beat Podcast typing challenge. Gregory, top of the recruiting or <laughs> top, <laughs> you did top of the nice list for football. Josh Downs. Quickly. Easy. Josh Downs, number one. I mean, it's simple. Every, all things Josh Downs. The way he adapted to being the number one attention getter for, by defenses. I mean, best season, uh, single season records and catches yards um all while being the main attention getter and with a poor offensive line was still able to have a fantastic fantastic season so yep joey powell all right i'm getting ready to blow y'all's minds i'm going to put the offensive line in both categories and here's how uh offensive line is naughty because they gave up way too many sacks and almost got sam killed multiple times on the nice list however everybody seems to forget and i think it was buck that mentioned this in one of his columns recently UNC led the ACC in rushing yardage this year, and you don't do that without having some run blocking up there. So, um, yeah, as bad as pass pro was at times and as, as bad as it was, you know, being able to pick up simple twists and stunt games from opposing defenses, uh, they did enough to, to get Ty Chandler to 1,000 yards plus, and, and it's just it's amazing that, uh, that they were that Jekyll and Hyde, but I think you've got to have them on, on both sides. Uh, Max specifically mentioned that in his press conference this week about the offensive line. Uh, he made a point. Maybe that say, was it. Don't forget that they uh, Carolina led the ACC. Greg Barnes, give me a ni uh, naughty football. You give me all the easy ones. Um, defense. Just defense across the board. <laughs> Can I list everything that has to do with defense? This the <laughs> currently the the. 2021 defense is, is flirting uh, with stats that suggest is being one of the worst defenses in the modern era of Carolina football. That is, it's just, I don't think that, I can write that on. The list. I mean, 2014 was atrocious. Yeah. That was the, the cream of the crop, right? As bad as it could be. That was Larry Fedora's masterpiece. That's right. And uh, there aren't many, there, there are none <laughs> that are at that level. But what this year has shown us is that this one's a lot closer than, than maybe most of the other ones. I mean, the 2012-2013 defenses under Larry Fedora were night and day better than the numbers that we've seen with this current defense. Yeah. When did it my is. man Chiswick come in? 15. 15. Got it. Can I throw man. one on the naughty list? Yeah. As long as you don't steal mine. No. Bad losses. Uh, you know, just – I mean, I, I don't think that's what you were going for, Tommy, but I think that's still fair. still losing like the to, Georgia Tech loss. The, the Georgia like, Tech loss is a bad loss. I still say the Florida State loss at home, the way they lost it was a bad loss. I mean, it's just a – that type of stuff needs to leave the program, and I'm quoting Mac Brown here, if if they want to take the next step and, you know, what's his thing is that they, they want to own a home, you know, where all the big boys live. 
But you can't go lose to a terrible Georgia Tech team the way that they lost it. I don't care how many turnovers you have. I don't care how bad your quarterback is that day. It's just those types of things need to be out of this program's DNA if they want to be taken seriously. We need to do a, uh, a board post of the year kind of deal because uh, Ross got, got heat and got drilled by Marquise Williams on, on Twitter uh, <laughs> for bringing up some of the Georgia Tech's issues. Yeah. Uh, but I posted it on the board that Georgia Tech was one in nine yes. against, I think, bowl eligible teams this year. And somebody immediately replied in quotations, be the one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that might, wow. That might be uh, a strong whoever, timing. Whoever you are, um, respond back. That might get you, that might get you some swag. Yeah, it's, identify yourself. The, the bad loss things, I mean, it was Georgia State and Florida State this year. It was Florida State and Virginia last year. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just – I would – I would venture to put NC State in it this year as well. The way it the happened. way they lost, yes, absolutely. And um, so, but so my naughty, my number one naughty, without question, is game management and clock management. Mm-hmm. That is something that shouldn't be that difficult to handle. I, it doesn't rely on eighteen to twenty-two year olds. It doesn't rely on the bounces of a football. It doesn't of an oblong sphere. It, it relies on knowing what the heck you're doing and being quick on your feet. You don't even have to be quick on your feet to get it done. And that has just been atrocious ever since three years ago, the kneel on fourth down in the (laughs) South Carolina game. Remember that Greg? It was like, what are they doing? It gave gave South Carolina a chance to (laughs) somehow steal that game. Right. I mean, there's a true freshman quarterback there, but it definitely led to, uh, foreshadowed things to come for sure that was that was a hundred percent like one of those moments that we'll look back to and say yeah we should have known right there that it might be interesting tommy i heard you were getting a a dog a new dog for christmas and you were gonna name it sparky woods and uh he would uh he would show up five minutes after the meal time every time (laughs) and uh, i I bet he would sleep well (laughs) There's a joke. There. <laughs> no, that's not nice. We, we're, this is Christmas time, man. No, I, I I'm just talking don't, about puppies. There's I just don't think. I just don't think that should be so difficult. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm lost. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, I just don't think some of the things that we've seen in those type games should happen. Uh, give me, give me a couple of nices, Gregory, and then we got to get out of here because Greg Barnes is going to ditch us here in a few minutes. Nice. I'll say Sam Howe is nice. Dude's a warrior. Best quarterback. Um, it's almost criminal that he only is what twenty something and fifteen, twenty one and fifteen, whatever it is. But not only is he been a, I mean, he's single handedly taken this team for three years and put them on his back. And uh, I, I think he's got really got to be at the top of the nice list. Um, but Gregory, what do you think? I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Javari Ritzy on this list. Um, because if I, if I'm thinking of true freshman defenders that have really made an impact, which it's not easy to do, um, Javari Ritzy has played, played a lot more than I thought he would. And it was, and played well when he did. Um, so he's going to be kind of my true freshman that I'm going to throw on this, on this list, offense or defense. He might be my freshman of the year, um, across the board thoughts. I don't disagree but him or cedric gray it, he's a sophomore well, it's not even say, would, you give, would you give it to him over over cedric gray that'd be tough he's not a, he's not a true freshman though so i can't give it to gray oh, that's right yeah good point what uh i'll put cedric gray on this you, list. you can put him on there what do you think greg give me a naughty and a nice just specific players whoever whatever you want whatever we want um i mean josh downs is an obvious He's already up there. Oh, how did I miss Josh? God, uh, see, we are doing a podcast tonight, Greg. That was the first thing I said. That, I think, maybe I think that's that... the problem. I wasn't paying attention to what you were talking about. <laughs> um, okay, so now I'm a little bit scattered. Uh, let's see. Positives. Uh, I mean, I, 
I think Jeremiah Gimmel uh, did a really good job this year. And I think kind of holding that, that defense together and the fact that uh, the coaching staff was really able to count on him for leadership, I think that's going to be an issue next year, which is one of the key reasons British Brooks is coming back is to help with leadership. Uh, Gimbal's a, a, you know, just a, a, the ideal type of leader that this team wants. Uh, naughty list, uh, I think I'll go with secondary. I think the secondary struggled at times this year. And I know you you have the caveat of, oh, they didn't get defensive pressure up front, which is true. But I think when you've, when you've got the talent that they had, um, even though Storm Duck was, was injured most of the year, they probably should have been a little bit better. And so I think secondary, especially safety, uh, is, is a naughty list item. The bust, the coverage bust, had nothing to do with what the defensive line was doing. Right, for sure. And, and – that's, that's why I agree with you on the safety play. I, I mean, the NC State game, the last two minutes of the NC State game should be film for every defensive <laughs> uh, back coach. Comes to with show the playbook. Their team. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, like this, it's included in the purchase price uh-huh. of your defensive playbook. Joey, uh, real quick, let's wrap this, baby. All right, I'll give you one on each side. Um, I'm going to say, uh, for nice, I'm going to say Josh Downs. Um, He's up there. I mean, come on. Oh, is he joking? I'm I'm, I'm (laughs) joking. That's that that Uh, (laughs) coast-to-coast humor. Um, So so both of mine are going to actually play on the transfer portal. Um, Nice, I think you have to point out um, how great Ty Chandler was this year. I know he started slow, but if you look at his stats and if you look at how many games he kind of put UNC's offense – on his back and really even when you know whether sam was struggling receivers were dropping the ball or maybe teams had him figured out think about you know i mentioned earlier the offensive lines run blocking think about how good he made them look once he kind of figured out where holes were going to be what unc's blocking scheme was and how he fit into it so love what he was able to do in one season with north carolina um the negative transfer pool you know and i understand kids leave because they they want other opportunities i'm never going to fault a kid for leaving but I do hate to see uh, Bo Corrales not get another crack in Chapel Hill, and I understand why he left. Um, yeah, I think that I think injuries, you know, robbing us from being able to see him play with Sam Howell this year were were, were brutal. So, um, yeah, I hate to see that he's leaving, but I, I certainly understand. So, um, yeah, I think both of mine are going to be kind of somewhat indirectly tied to the transfer portal. But uh, I guess the uh, the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. Indeed, it does. I think the, the I'm not a fan of the midseason stuff. Um, no, that's, but it is, that's, but it that's is what form. it is. Yeah. yeah. So, Gregory, um, last thoughts before uh, our pre-Christmas show. I was looking right. at these naughty things here, um, and I was cons- I was trying to figure out which ones are things that can put that it would be easier to move over to the nice column sooner, like sooner rather than later here. Uh, for basketball, it's, I mean, you can effort intensity floor burns can be moved over. I mean, we could a show two shows from now um, after a few ACC games, we can move those over um, if it, if, if it happens tight rotation, I don't think moves over. I, I just, I don't think it's going to expand to the point um, that we, we kind of talked about earlier. Kerwin wall in, I'm kind of in between about whether or not I'm moving over or how quickly that can get moved over. Cause um, you think I like to compare him to how leaky's improvements this year compared Le- leaky just did not fit into that system um, that UNC ran the last two years. And he has fit in well and found a role in this system. Kerwin has not fit into this system yet when we thought he would with more shooters. So that's where I'm kind of, I don't know. Turnovers, same deal. I mean, they can, but at the same time, if they're trying to play faster, they might not. Football here, I mean, defense should be because of recruiting. Clock management, obviously it's not going to because it's been three years of it. Um, So that's kind of my thoughts as far as things moving over. Transfer portal is not going to change. You're going to lose guys. The secondary safety play should get better. That can move over. Um, 
And I think the jury's still out on the passing protection by the offensive line. So those are kind of just my closing thoughts. I don't really have any more naughty or nice to add. I mean, we could go through the naughty for football forever. Um, I think we kind of just hit touched on some highlights here. So that's kind of my closing thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, I think the game against South Carolina um, can can potentially, at least on the hype train, turn a lot of those reds into greens, um, and we'll see what happens there. Boys, it's been fun. We've had a fun year. Um, we've got a couple more shows before the year ends, but that's going to do it for tonight right here before Christmas. Gregory, Greg, Joey, I appreciate y'all all coming on the show. It's been so fun to do them. I know um, our hardcore listeners and our hardcore watchers that join the live show appreciate it. They say it a lot, and, and they speak about it when we see them on the streets or see them at games, so I know they appreciate all y'all's time. One thing I am going to tease a little bit is pregame bowl show. Um, we will be down, um, if all goes according to plan, on 1200 South Graham Street in Charlotte. Um, Joey Powell and myself doing Inside Carolina Live. Hopefully appearances from Mr. Barnes and Gregory and some of the other IC team. Um, we'll be doing that at 8.30 in the morning, 8.30 to 10.30, which is sh uh, barely short of insanity, but it is what it is if you want to play in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, Carolina with the throwback uniforms. Um, we'll also try to get on the beat live in next week. We'll see how that goes. we got to get Jason Staples on to talk about Carolina, South Carolina, um, I'll be at the Virginia Tech game, so we won't have a post-game podcast for that one, as will this crowd be making their way to Charlotte. Boys, it's been fun. I hope the listeners have Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I have, hope everybody stays safe so they can join us again next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or – I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.